So first of all, uh, just briefly, uh, a little bit about myself. I'm a New Yorker, and uh, I uh, studied in, at a Jesuit university uh, for my undergraduate, and I went to Italy. Uh, I, was, I studied classics, and I went to Italy to find out where the classics happened. And um, I fell in love with Italy and with the Italian language and started, uh, I, I continued working in the classics for a while, but then eventually I did a PhD uh, at uh, New York University uh, in uh, medieval Italian literature. And that's, that's what turned out to be my career. I teach medieval and Renaissance Italian literature now at Georgetown University, but I was for a long time, not by the way, the head of the Italian department. My, uh, my, the chair of my department would be very upset to hear, to hear me described as the head of the department. But um, uh, I was at the University of Toronto for 23 years and retired from there and then, um, and then came to Georgetown um, where I'm able also to direct the Catholic Studies program. And we are very fortunate uh, to have Father Lawrence for the second time this year He's going to be teaching in our program uh, a course which is very similar to this course, but instead of calling it the Roots of Christian Mysticism, we're calling the course the Roots of Christian Meditation because it's uh, part of his time at Georgetown this fall will be to direct a new Georgetown Center for Meditation and Interreligious Dialogue where there will be some students, only four to start with, living in a house next door to Father Lawrence in two small townhouses. And uh, they will be doing uh, twice daily meditation, a program of, of meditation, twice daily meditation and the teaching of meditation. And they'll also be doing interreligious dialogue. They'll be doing that in a small group every week and then for the entire university community once a month. So this is the, uh, the first uh, attempt to get this kind of a center going in a, in a uh, university. It's a little bit difficult to know how to approach young people with meditation. And so we thought we'd get young people to do it. So these four undergraduates will be uh, the ones who will be really uh, running this program with Father Lawrence's help. So um, I'm also hoping that this course will be a um, uh, a continuing course, which if Father Lawrence is not there, either I will teach it or someone else uh, will teach the course. And so, and I hope Dante will, when I teach it, Dante will certainly have a central uh, place because, well, Dante does have a kind of central place. Uh, his dates are um, th uh, 1265 to 1321. Um, and uh, he has, uh, he's in a long tradition, as, as you know now, you've studied some of the people in that tradition uh, of, um, of mystical literature. So if you think about um, probably the most influential piece of mystical literature ever written, uh, which was the Song of Songs, uh, starting with the Song of Songs, which very much influenced Dante, um, coming down through certain passages uh, of Paul and, uh, and, of course, Jesus' sayings in the New Testament and um, as, a, as a continuation of uh, the tradition of Moses and Isaiah in the Old Testament, um, going through 
the uh, classical world, especially uh, the Somnium Scipionis of Cicero, uh, where Cicero talks about um, uh, Macrobius and uh, the, go the going out to the uh, third heaven and having an experience, uh, a spiritual experience. And um, from the classical period, also Augustine very much influenced Dante. And then Boethius, who was, as you may know, uh, uh, also a classical author, probably, possibly a convert to Christianity. Um, and then through the Middle Ages, um, starting with some of the early people that you know, like, uh, like Clement, uh, and, uh, but, but finding out about them, learning from them through um, Hugh of St. Victor and Richard of St. Victor, Bernard of Clairvaux, who will figure largely in our, talk, in our um, literature tonight, um, and uh, two of the Mechtilds, Mechtild of Hagdeburg, and, uh, excuse me, Hagaborn, and, um, and Mechtild of, what is it, Mordeberg? Magdeburg, right. Um, and then in the Italian tradition, uh, Francis of Assisi, of course, and Jacopone da Todi. So Dante figures in this tradition as someone who, um, who assimilated as much of the literature produced by these great figures of, uh, of mystical, the mystical tradition, uh, and someone who could synthesize them and present them in his own very personal way. Nel mezzo del cammin di nostra vita, where he is saying nostra means our, and he's not talking, he's, he's talking um, autobiographically, but he's not only talking about himself, he's talking about every man in this, uh, in this work. And so it appears that is, is underscored in his very first line. Um, Dante wrote several very interesting works before uh, undertaking the Commedia, or the Commedia, as he called it. Um, it was called the Divine Comedy later on uh, by, by his commentators his early commentators, uh, probably his son was his son was his first commentator, and so he may have used the term uh, divina, um, and uh, uh, Boccaccio certainly used it. He was one of the first teachers of uh, of uh, Dante in the um, in the scuola in Florence, in the studio in Florence, one of the first universities in Italy, and. Um, Boccaccio, of course, who wrote the Decameron. You don't, probably don't think of the Decameron as a religious text, but um, after studying Dante, and now I teach Boccaccio in the Catholic Studies program and in the Italian department, as uh, I teach Boccaccio's Decameron as a religious text. Um, so Dante first presents some of his ideas, you might call this his incipient mysticism, in a work that he wrote when he was very young, probably around 1290, so he was 25. 
called the Vita Nuova. And it was a story of a conversion. And the conversion had to do with his encounter with a woman. And that woman's name was Beatrice. And it was um, significant to Dante, the fact that her name was Beatrice, and which means she who beatifies, she who blesses. Um, and Dante's experience with her was being all absorbed in her glance, the meeting of their eyes. And this absorption was a kind of contemplative state which Dante went into at this encounter. And she died um, uh, when she was very young. Uh, Dante, and the first encounter, actually, was when they were nine years old. And um, they had some few encounters in her life. And after her death, he wrote, or during this uh, early period uh, of his, his, let's say, his teenage years, uh, he started writing poetry to her. And then uh, during the early period after her death, he continued writing poetry to her. Then he collected this poetry into this book called The Vita Nuova. And he commentated on it. So it's, in a way, it's a book of how to write love poetry. It's a kind of a manual of writing poetry. But in it, we also see this autobiographical experience uh, that he had with Beatrice. And at the end of that book, of the Vita Nuova, he says that he, he will write things that have never been written before about the miracle of a woman. And, and then we assume he lets all that go and starts doing other kinds of writing. And the first uh, substantial piece of writing is, uh, that he does after this is the Convivio, in which he tries to write uh, a philosophical treatise uh, in which he again presents some of his poetry and explains it, but this time in a philosophical, um, uh, from a philosophical point of view. And I think he probably was trying to get at the same thing that uh, he eventually got to in the Divine Comedy, but in prose and in uh, strictly philosophical language, which he learned from the scholastics. Uh, and here, you might call that a kind of imperfect mysticism, the imperfect mysticism of the convivio in which Dante tries very hard to uh, present the voyage of knowledge uh, to God through a, in, in, a, in a scholastic way. Scholasticism, you may know, was the, um, uh, the medieval retelling of uh, the history of philosophy from Aristotle, especially from Aristotle's um, various works that they, that they had access to, especially the ethics. He, he gave up with the convivio uh, when he was about halfway through and decided to write, or he probably had already started to write the Divine Comedy and saw that that was going to be his way of doing it, uh, of presenting his, this vision that he had. And he spent uh, about, um, well, if he started writing the Divine Comedy on 1304 and finished it just shortly before his death, it took him some 15, 16 years to write the Divine Comedy, which does not at all surprise us when we know the depth 
uh, and the, the, the polysemous nature of that text. Um, the mystical doctrine of love that's presented in the Purgatorio and the Paradiso is presented first by Virgil, who is Dante's first guy in the comedy. He meets Dante um, in this dark valley in which uh, Dante finds himself, as he says in those first lines of the comedy, he says, Nel mezzo del cammin di nostra vita mi ritrovai per una selva oscura che la diritta via era smarrita. I found myself in a dark forest and the, the way out, the right path was lost to me. And then he says, A quanto a dir qual era e cosa dura esta selva selvaggia ed aspra e forte che nel pensiero rinnova la paura. La paura is the fear that Dante knows that he has to relive in this part of his voyage, as he has to retell the story. And that, that same fear that he, will, that he felt in the Inferno, he is going to feel again as he tells the story, and he wants us to feel it as well. And then uh, he st starts talking about uh, trying to get out of this dark forest, and he sees the sun coming over a mountain. So this mountain, which um, we probably all recognize uh, from Psalm 24, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and pure hearts, who do not lift up their souls to what is false and do not swear, and do not swear deceitfully. This is the mountain that he sees, the mountain which is the mystical mountain, the mountain which the just man, the man who has, doesn't, isn't burdened by sin, can ascend. Who that man is, we don't know. Was there ever a man who could descend directly? that mountain. Dante certainly couldn't. He saw three beasts as, he's coming, as he started to ascend it. Uh, and these three beasts represented the three dispositions to sin in every human being, the fallen condition. And he could not get past. So um, he, turns, he turns away. And luckily, he meets Virgil, who says that he was sent by a succession of women to guide Dante through the difficulties of hell, which was the only other way to the top of the mountain, and then up that mountain from the other side of the mountain. We learn, we learn later, reading the Purgatory, that it's the southern side of the mountain that he had tried to climb directly up, and it's the northern side that he eventually has to climb in a circuitous way uh, to get to uh, the top, which is the earthly paradise, where he will meet Beatrice. So um, let me just read to you of the Inferno proper. The Inferno proper starts in Canto 2 of the book of the Inferno. The first canto, you, you probably know, uh, that this um, comedy is, consists of a hundred cantos. 
these hundred cantos are broken down into three canticles, hell, purgatory, and paradise. Now, in order to get a hundred canticles and to make the number three as important as it was for Dante, he had to have 33 cant uh, cantos in each canticle for, um, uh, for symmetry. And then he had one canto of introduction, which was that first canto that I already talked to you about. So the first prop canto of, of hell proper is canto two. And he says, day was departing and the dusk drew on, loosing from labor every living thing save me in all the world. I, I alone, must gird me to the wars, rough traveling, and pity sharp assault upon the heart, which memory shall record unfalteringly. Now muses, now high genius, do your part, and memory, faithful scrivener to the eyes, here show thy virtue, noble as thou art. I soon began, poet, Dear guide, twere wise surely to test my powers and weigh their worth ere trusting me to this great enterprise. Thou sayest the author of young Silvius' birth did to the world immortal mortal go, clothed in the body of flesh he wore on earth. Granted, if hell's great foeman deigned to show to him such favor, seeing the vast effect and what and who his destined issue no, that need surprise no thoughtful intellect, since to Rome's fostering city and empery high heaven had sealed him as the father-elect. Both these were there established verily to found that place, holy and delicate, wherein great Peter's heir should hold his see, so that the deed thy verses celebrate taught him the road to victory and bestowed the papal mantle in its high estate. Thither the, the chosen vessel in like mode went afterward, and much confirmed thereby the faith that sets on us salvation's road. But how should I go there? Who says so? Why? I'm not Aeneas, and I'm not Paul. Who thinks me fit? Not others, and not I. And so on. So Dante is interrogating Virgil as to why he was chosen, why he was um, picked out for this voyage in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the three realms of the afterlife. And Virgil explains to him that although he is not Aeneas who founded Rome and therefore paved the way for the, both the empire and uh, the church, the two, spirit, the two guides of humanity, the spiritual and the temporal, um, to have their, their place on earth. Uh, and he wasn't, he wasn't Paul who was, as you remember from the New Testament, was lifted up into the third heaven. Um, and, but he also, uh, in, uh, in an apocryphal book, which Dante was familiar with, had a voyage into hell. So... Virgil explains to him that this woman came to him, and her name was Beatrice. Dante recognizes this name. And she, she came to him because she was sent. He says, heaven hath a noble lady, and this is the Virgin Mary, who doth take Ruth of this man, thou goest to disensnare, 
such that high doom is canceled for her sake. She summoned Lucy to her guide. Lucy is the saint who um, is the guardian, is the uh, patron saint of eyesight, and her name means light, so illumination. Um, and there exhorted her, Thy faithful votary needs thee, and I commend him to thy care. Lucy, the foe to every cruelty, ran quick and came and found me in my place beside ancestral Rachel, crying to me, How now, how now, Beatrice, God's true praise, no help for him who once thy liegeman was, quitting the common herd to win thy grace, and so on. Beatrice comes to Dante from a place in heaven which was assigned to her next to Rachel. Now, Rachel is a very important figure in um, the history of mysticism because she represents the contemplative life. Leah, her sister, who Jacob first had to marry before marrying Rachel, um, and he had to work seven years to marry Rachel, do you remember the story? And then uh, he went to Leah's father. He went to Rachel's father and said, "Now, you know, I've worked for seven years. I should marry me to Rachel." And the father said, "No." He said, "I, I have to marry Leah first. So the active life, which Leah represents, comes before the contemplative. And Jacob had to work another seven years in order to marry uh, Rachel. And then after that, Leah was very fruitful." and gave Jacob many sons, but, uh, but Rachel only gave him two sons. But Joseph and Benjamin were the two favorite sons. And so this is the same story that we have in the New Testament of Mary and Martha. And uh, this immediately establishes Beatrice as, as a, a, um, a symbol a representative of the contemplative life. So Dante establishes early on that he is aiming toward an experience of contemplation. But he understands that there's a lot of work to go to through before he's able to reach that stage. So um, Virgil takes Dante down through hell, down through again, hell is constructed of ten circles, and the first is a kind of circle of introduction, uh, and then the second, uh, it's, it's called the antechamber of hell, and then the second is the circle where Virgil dwells, limbo, and all the, uh, the noble ancients, those who were... Um, who practiced to the highest degree possible the human virtues, uh, temperance, fortitude, wisdom, what did I miss? Justice. And, but didn't have grace, didn't have, weren't baptized, as, as Dante will find out later, as we all find out later, that baptism was essential. Virgil did not have that, that baptism. Now, there's good reason to think that Dante changed his mind as he was, as he matured in the writing of the comedy and decided that there was probably another kind of baptism which um, souls from limbo were um, 
made souls from limbo able to reach heaven. And so he placed souls in heaven and, and encountered souls in heaven uh, who were from ancient times and were achieved baptism somehow through desire, uh, which gives hope that Virgil, in fact, also will someday reach heaven. Uh, limbo uh, is a place which we don't know whether it's eternal or not. Um, we know that hell is eternal. We know that purgatory is not eternal. We know that paradise is eternal. Um, Virgil takes Dante down through all the different circles of hell. He enters into hell proper, in, uh, which is called the city of Dis, um, about halfway down, and then goes through a number of um, what Sayers entitles, the Italian is bolge, and Sayers uses the English word boge, B-O-W-G-E. So he goes down through all these boges, which are the most, uh, the, the worst kinds of sin. They're all different kinds of fraud, down to Cassidus, which is the dwelling place of Satan. And he encounters Satan, not like Milton does at all, but he encounters a Satan who is unable to talk. For one thing, his mouths are full of three, he has three heads, and so three mouths, and each of his mouth has a sinner in it. So he couldn't talk if he wanted to. Uh, this, the three sinners are Brutus, Cassius, and Judas. So those who cause the injury to the empire and, of course, uh, the, uh, the worst of all, uh, Judas, who offended God directly. Um, after Dante sees the state in which Virgil, I mean, in which um, Satan keeps himself, Satan was a, um, was a seraphim, and the seraphim had six wings. So uh, Satan was, uh, by the way, angels, uh, we find out eventually, uh, in, in, through the reading of Paradise, are not, um, are not like humans in the sense that each angel is its own race, if you like, or, or genus. It's a, so each angel is like a human. So like Adam would have been perhaps the only human created, if Eve hadn't, hadn't been created, or the two of them might have been the only representatives of their species, um, each angel is the only representative of uh, his, his or its species, because angels don't have sex. And um, Satan, so Satan is a fallen um, seraphim with six wings, which he keeps fluttering all the time, and which keep the waters that, that, that he's immersed in, uh, that all flow down to the center of, of hell, frozen. So he's totally immobile, so he can't speak, he can't move, and he keeps this. Uh, uh, he keeps himself in this state. So this is uh, this is Satan's punishment, and it's the punishment that fits the crime, um, because he was the greatest of all sinners. And so uh, Dante calls um, 
cause this punishment that fits the crime, contrapasso. I'll write it in, uh, in English. The Italian has two Ps, but Dante actually used the, the, the Latin spelling, which had one P. Con, contrapasso, uh, passo has to do with suffering, and contra has to do with um, a sense of appropriateness, not, not so much counter, uh, but, um, but appropriate suffering. And, um, and you can see how that works with, with, uh, with Satan, especially the part where he uh, punishes himself. And this is, is typical of every sinner that Dante encounters throughout hell. There is a contrapasso which shows you how it's not Dante who's punishing the sinner. It's not God that's punishing the sinner. It's the sinner who's punishing himself in a particularly appropriate way for the sin that characterized his life. Of course, all sinners, as you go further down, the sinners will have all the sins that, uh, that you've encountered so far. So uh, the simple way to look at that is you have lust is the first sin that Dante uh, shows, and that's uh, the story, the famous story of Francesca and Paolo uh, and the way they simply fell into each other's arms and then were killed immediately by Paolo's uh, brother who was Francesca's wife and so was sent to hell for all eternity. And uh, Dante has a show of understanding for that sin, how easy it is to fall into sin. But once you've fallen into sin, then each sin becomes a composite of all the sins that went before it so that the worst sins of fraud, for example, uh, were done by people who had already inured themselves deeply into sin. So contrapasso is kind of the rule of hell. But then we go into purgatory, and Dante gets to purgatory by climbing up through a fissure that is created by the river Lethe, which has created this fissure and trickles water down into Cassidus, which, uh, uh, which keeps Satan uh, and all, uh, since that's the center of hell, keeps all of hell in that condition, in that icy condition. And um, the river Lethe is the river of forgetfulness from, uh, from classical literature, from classical mythology, which we see again when we get to the top of purgatory, when we get to earthly earthly paradise, uh, there are two, two fountains uh, creating rivers, and these two fountains are self-promoting, um, um, pro, uh, what's the word, self-perpetuating sources of water created that way by God. One is called Lethe, which is the river of forgetfulness. The other is, um, is called Eunoe, the Latin, I mean the Greek word which Dante adapts, which is the uh, river of good remembrance. So the story of purgatory is you go from um, the shores where all souls who are saved, who have accepted their redemption, are deposited um, um, by a boat driven by an angel. The shore which Ulysses, who was one of the sinners, um, punished 
in the circle of fraud, Ulysses, the, the, the shore that Ulysses couldn't get to, was drowned just before he got there. Ulysses is a kind of anti-Dante. He's, he's, the, uh, he's the, un, the, the human being who tries to go against God's command. You, I don't know if you know the story, which was not in Ulysses, I mean, was not in uh, Homer, but was about Ulysses uh, uh, created in the Middle Ages which was that Ulysses, after he returned to, um, to Penelope, uh, he got bored and decided that he would set off again with a bunch of his companions and, uh, and, and have more experience of knowledge. He wanted the, the ultimate experience of knowledge. In order to gain this experience of knowledge, he had to disobey the command, which was uh, the, the command of the gods, which was not to go beyond the pillars of Hercules, and in other words, not to go out into the Atlantic from the Mediterranean. And uh, he went out, and then he saw the mountain of Purgatory. So he saw this. He saw salvation, and uh, but before he could get there, he and all his crew is drowned. So his voyage is the voyage of failure because it was human ability without uh, divine grace. So Dante is able to um, start the climb up the mountain of purgatory and encounters all the souls who, are, who have accepted their sin. They've recognized their sin. They've confessed it and they have agreed to a, a, a penance which will satisfy um, their sin as far as human satisfaction can go. Um, so you have um, the, the rule of purgation. Now, the rule of purgation in purgatory is that you recognize your sin and you, and you contemplate, um, you meditate on, um, this is the use of meditation, with, uh, of discursive meditation. You contemplate using images and you see, you, you, you find images uh, in the cornice where your sin is being purged of both the virtue which you need to practice to overcome the, uh, the fault that you committed and outstanding examples of that fault so that you know what you have uh, agreed to renounce. Now all these sinners have achieved redemption. They are all going to heaven. They all know that they're going to heaven. But before they can get to heaven, they have to perform this, uh, these acts of penance. And probably every sinner has to go. Again, you have ten levels. But um, uh, the ten levels here, I neglected to mention in, in, in hell, you, the ten levels were actually divided up into 24 sins. Now, 24 is a classical number. Um, and it's according to Aristotle that uh, Dante constructs hell because hell is not a Christian place. Hell is, is a non-Christian place. Hell is a non-place, in fact. So it's a total rejection. Uh, hell is the lack of existence, Dante understands, Dante explains. So uh, it's, it's what, what is rejected is what God has not revealed. But purgatory is a place of uh, uh, revelation. And so it's constructed according to, uh, to Christian symbolism. 
and, and uh, architecture. And so you have, uh, you have seven, first you have three levels of uh, anti-purgatory, and then where people wait for various reasons to get into purgatory. For example, uh, someone who didn't repent uh, until the moment of death has to wait before he can get into purgatory. The amount of time that he put off his repentance during life. Okay. Someone who was um, uh, excommunicated from the church has to wait 30 times the amount of time that he spent in excommunication before he can get into purgatory. So anyway, then you get into purgatory and there are seven uh, cornices that you go through. And the first cornice uh, is the sin of pride. And once you've purged yourself of the sin of pride, which is at the root of all sin, you go to the next cornice, and if you committed sin, that particular sin, you would purge that, and then the next cornice, until you've purged all the sins that you've committed. But once you've purged pride, every other purgation is lighter, because pride is at the root of every sin. So, as you go up, you become lighter and lighter. Dante shows this by saying that when you enter into purgatory, seven Ps for peccata, the Latin word for sins, are put on your forehead, and they are imprinted on Dante's forehead. When he goes through the passive pardon from the sin of pride, the first P is erased, and all the other Ps lose their depth, if you like. Use, lose their weight. They all become a little grayer. And then, as Dante goes through, he becomes lighter and lighter and lighter until he reaches um, the final sin, which again is the sin of lust. Um, and he has to go through a wall of fire. And here I'd like to, um, I'd like to read to you from the canto 27 of Purgatory, where the rule of Purgatory uh, uh, is that the Purgatory is like, um, chronologically and geographically like uh, Earth, um, so it, in, it feels the influence of the heavens, except if you're on a mountain, the higher you go, the, the, there's different influences, uh, atmospheric influence and so on. But um, what happens during the day is that you are actively able to purge your, your sin, to do, do your penance, to execute your penance. There is, the, the day is perfectly divided into 12 hours of day and 12 hours of night. And um, in the 12 hours of night, you are not allowed to um, to to do anything active. You must sit in contemplation. So this is the basic rule of purgation. You, you, you have the seven virtues that counteract the seven sins that you actively work at during the day. For example, the one of pride is you must walk with heavy, a heavy weight on your shoulders, bowed down to the ground. And um, you go around in a counterclockwise uh, because you're always turning to the right in your purgation. 
So um, if you go counterclockwise, always turning to the right, right, counterclockwise, you are in fact undoing what time has done for you on Earth. Okay? So you're, the aim is to reach a state of perfect innocence where you no longer know sin and are no longer tempted by, to sin. So um, the rule is that during the day you exercise the virtues which are the practical cardinal virtues, the ones that Virgil represented, for example. And uh, at night you must contemplate the theological virtues. And the theological virtues, of course, are faith, hope, and charity, faith, hope, and love. So the day is divided between the active, uh, uh, symmetrically divided between the active and the contemplative. And on this particular, um, at this particular level, where Dante is in the circle of lust, he is being called through the final challenge, which is a wall of fire. And he's being called uh, by the fact that Beatrice is on the other side of this wall. And he, he knows how painful this wall will be. And, but finally, the attraction of Beatrice draws him through it. So you see there's a kind of a nice play there between the, um, the circle of lust where, where someone uh, loves someone else or some object, for example, uh, for its own sake, and the being called to a higher state by someone or something. For each person, it's, the experience is different. For Dante, it's Beatrice. So when he gets to the other side of this wall, uh, night once again falls, and he can't go on. And he has a dream. And the dream that he has here, and he, this is where he uses the word me, uh, meditation. He says, like goats that have been skipping on the hill, wanton and wild, but being fed, grow tame, and lay them down to ruminate, and that's the word meditare, quite still beneath the shade when summer's all aflame, while leaned upon his crook their, their herd doth keep watch, and so leaning takes good care of them, and like the shepherd who beside his sheep holds silent vigil under the night sky, lest the wolf scatter them from out their sleep. Such were we then all three, the three of them because Virgil and Dante and then Statius had joined them, uh, the classical poet who was converted by Virgil and was baptized. Narrow the view of any outward scene, but through those sorrows I saw star on star, bigger and brighter than they'd ever been. Ruminant thus I gazed on them afar. So he's contemplating these stars which are calling him upward. And he says, until sleep took me, sleep that often dreams can give us news of things before they are. Such time, methinks, as Cytherea, who seems ever to burn the flames of love among first 
on the mount shot forth her orient beams, I in a vision saw a lady, young and beautiful, through level meadows go, gathering flowers by whom these words were sung. Whoso would ask my name, I'd have him know that I am Leah, who for my array twin, excuse me, twine garlands weaving white hands to and fro. To please me at the glass, I deck me gay, that while my sister Rachel never stirs, but sits before her mirror all the day. So Dante again in earthly paradise, just at the beginnings of earthly paradise, recalls the, the, uh, the contemplative life and the active life, Leah and, and Rachel. Now, Leah is, or this woman who represents Leah, or who, who, who is saying that she is a Leah type, uh, it, her name is not given until the very end of, the purg of purgatory, um, was a handmaid of Beatrice. So she's the one who goes before telling, Be telling Dante that Beatrice is coming. It's a promise that Beatrice will come to fulfill Dante's desire to know about, uh, about God, to receive illumination. So we've seen through uh, hell and purgatory, we've seen the three stages of, um, of the journey of, of, uh, uh, of the mystical journey. Reason and the understanding of the fallen human condition, which is the first stage, the recognition of, of what is on the journey. And then purification, the repentance, the various stages that are presented in the, purg in the, sta in the stages of purgation, the seven sins of, uh, that need to be pur purged. And then finally, illumination, the illumination that Beatrice brings at the end of the, of the, of the lower stages, if you like, of the preparatory stages, uh, and then takes, through illumination, takes the soul uh, and perhaps the body we don't know. Uh, certainly the resurrected body, but of course the resurrected body in Dante's theology is not given until the end of time. Um, it's the last judgment. So Dante, again, like Paul, doesn't know if he's taken up in his body or not in his body, if he's taken out of his body somehow. So uh, this is often called the journey of the soul uh, or of the mind. The, the word can mean... The Latin word can mean both um, into God, the itinerarium mentis in Dei, um, which is one of the outstanding medieval texts that Dante had in mind as he um, was writing his Divine Comedy. So I'd like to, to end now with uh, a definition. I guess you never tire of definitions of mysticism, like I don't. And I brought two books uh, to say something brief about, uh, we'll say in the second hour. Um, one is um, Dante and the Mystics, and um, it's by Edmund Gardner, who is one of the outstanding um, scholars who uh, talk about religion and literature from the beginning of the 20th century. Um, so listen to this definition of, um, of mysticism. 
We might define mysticism as the love-illumined quest of the soul to unite herself with the suprasensible, with the absolute, with that which is. Certain pantheistic mystics find the goal of this quest in the union of the soul with the spirit of love and beauty which they recognize in nature, as expressed by Wordsworth in those splendid lines at the end of The Recluse, and by Shelley in the whole allegory of the Prometheus Unbound. The medieval mystics and his Catholic successors find it in God, the first cause, a goal only to be attained perfectly and continuously in the hereafter, but realized partially and fleetingly by anticipation here and now. And this realization takes two principal forms. One is the religious experience described by St. Catherine of Siena, the Beata Osana of Mantua, St. Teresa and others, known as the spiritual espousals of the soul with Christ. So this calls back the Song of Psalms and all of the uh, imagery of, of the, um, the, the mystical wedding of the soul with Christ, which is what's happening as Dante meets Beatrice, the mystical wedding of Dante and Beatrice, and then eventually of Dan Dante and God. The other is an intellectual anticipation of the vision of the divine essence, as in that momentum intelligentiae, that one moment of understanding after which St. Augustine and St. Monica sighed, and the one moment which should anticipate the beatific vision. So the fulfilling of what, of what Thomas Aquinas taught Dante in the Summa Theologica, that is, that first comes knowledge and then comes love. So you find, so Dante achieves all this knowledge of what it is to be human, through his voyage into hell and then through purgatory realizes what the human being is capable of achieving which turns out to be innocence as he achieves uh, a, a state of the, of the pre uh, uh, the, the state of the uh, what do you call it uh, I'm trying to think of the technical term it's before the fall the, it's not pre-edenic uh, well, prelapsarian, the prelapsarian state, so that uh, there's perfect innocence like a child. And then Dante, in that innocence, but in that full knowledge of it, which he comes to through first forgetting sin in Lethe, the rivers of Lethe, he forgets the sin, but in Eunoei, he remembers all the good things, including what the sin was able to accomplish the good things that sin accomplished, that is, bringing down God's grace. So, um, God turns everything to good, even sin. And once Dante has drunk of both these rivers, he remembers everything, but sin is only remembered in the good, for the good that it has done, the way it has brought him to this readiness to be taken into the beatific vision. Another word for that that Dante uses is to become more than human, which is the word tra transhumanar. Dante invents this word, transhumanar, to become more than human, which also means uh, to become 
like God, or even to become God, in fact, to be deified. And there's a whole discussion of that kind of uh, deification 